Mark chapter 7, and we'll be looking there at verse 24 uh, down to verse 30. So turn there with me, Mark chapter 7, and I'll begin reading from verse 24. We're going to be reading about a Syrophoenician woman. So verse 24 of Mark chapter 7. From there he, Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. What a passage. Let's pray now and ask for the Lord's help. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Be with us now. Open our ears. Help us to see clearly what you are saying. Give to us, Lord, hearts to receive it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Very interesting passage. And uh, a shock, in fact. I think a very big surprise for us because we, all of us feel, I never expected Jesus to reply like that to this poor woman's request for help. For a daughter, no less. And yet the reply seems so harsh and sharp that we, we feel a little bit shocked. And so we really have to think about this clearly and understand this passage more deeply. Now, this passage is about faith, isn't it? It's about this woman's faith. I think that's very clear. In fact, if you've been looking through Mark up to this point, we've had many different stories of faith. And Mark, the gospel writer, writes this account for us really to help us to see one other aspect of what real faith looks like. And here's an analogy, I think, that can help us just to understand what the Lord Jesus is doing with this woman and showing to us who are about to read it after. Now, you guys know if you prepare foods or vegetables, there are different ways to prepare things. One of the most incredible things for me as a lover of all tomato-based foods is how different cultures all can prepare this one little red vegetable, or some people say it's a fruit, tomato, in different ways. Here in the West, you know, you can make it into tomato sauce, which I absolutely love, ketchup and things like that. And yet also in Chinese cuisine, tomatoes are used a lot as a base and things like that, but in different ways. And one vegetable, but prepared in a different way. Or if you know more about maybe Mediterranean olive oil, if you read in your supermarket bottles, if you do buy olive oil, pretty fancy stuff, you can see there there's cold pressed, extra virgin. You can get hot pressed olive oil. And what's all of that about? Well, you know, when they're squeezing and pressing the oil out of the, out of the olives, how hot or how cold the temperature is affects the end product. And so we can see there the, the same thing, but in order to bring out different properties and aspects and tastes and flavors, you might apply a different method. Not to add what wasn't in there in the first place, but to draw out something more that wouldn't have been there if you cold pressed it or hot pressed it. You can see that different uh, analogy, can't we? And here with the Lord Jesus Christ, he is using what we might say a pretty hot way of pressing this woman to draw out for us more clearly what genuine faith in him looks like. That's what he's doing. He's using a, a sharp, pretty, pretty hot press method, difficult, 
kind of a contradictory, almost rude way, we might say, but he's using it as obviously a master physician would, a, a scalpel when you need to, to draw out for us what real faith looks like. They wouldn't otherwise be there if he didn't go through this method. So really for us this morning, we're looking at, well, what does this interaction show us about the nature of, of faith in Christ? And it's especially relevant when we deal with the fact that it is very possible that there exists many different places, examples of a, a false faith, where even the person believing thinks that they have real faith. The greatest example in the gospel accounts is the Pharisees themselves. Those who, who thought that they knew God, they were right with God, and their lives were so dedicated to God in every way, in ways that you and I would find absolutely incredible. Memorizing all of the Old Testament and, and teaching it day in, day and night, following the minutest details. And yet these were the very ones who wanted to kill Jesus. And Jesus says, I can tell you don't know God because you don't receive me. And here's God in the flesh standing in front of them, and they don't know him. And so we have to be you know, very attentive to this because there exists such a reality as false faith, as a deceitful faith, a counterfeit kind of faith, that in the end, does not cause a person to be right with God, which is the most tragic of consequences. So we're really paying attention. And I'm sure the Lord Jesus draws it out for the sake of this woman herself to see more clearly, and also for the disciples and for us now who are reading it thousands of years later. So we've already got three points for you this morning as we look at this woman. Number one is that real faith says to the Lord, yes, Lord. It receives the truth that God reveals. That's the first point, yes, Lord. The second point, is that real faith presses on every obstacle and puts all of its eggs on one basket. That's what real faith does. That's the second point. It presses on through every obstacle and says, I've got nowhere else to go. And then number three, we're going to see what faith results in. And I'm going to make this declaration, what every genuine faith results in, full stop. We can make that declaration without apology. Every case of real and genuine faith will result in this. That's our third point. So let's take it now and look at this first point. Look at the way Jesus replies to this woman. It's incredible. You, you can imagine the scene there. She falls down before him. So pitiable. Our hearts will be drawn in compassion. Her daughter is being oppressed. She knows she has to get to Jesus. She needs his help. She's begging at his feet. And she says, please help me. And how does the Lord Jesus reply? It's incredible for us because the, the, the vast majority of cases that we read of, he says, of course, you know, by, by your faith, you will have this thing you ask for. But here, he, he rebukes her almost. He cuts her down almost. He says to her, it is not right for me to give the children's bread to the dogs. He's calling her a dog. He's likening her to a dog at the, at the feet, not at the table. What is going on here? Well, we see the point made here that she is a Syrophoenician by birth. It's a Greek city. She's, um, she's a Gentile. And if you understand much about the Old Testament, you know, people in that day, it was, it was taught that you divide people into two groups. Are you a Jewish person or you're a Gentile? Those are the only two divisions. The Jewish people were God's chosen people, but the Gentiles were those outside of God's community. They were not deserving of any of the promises that God made. They're not children of Abraham. They're not those that God has, you know, loved and blessed. No, no, that only belongs to the, to the Israelites, the chosen people of God. 
And yet when we come to the New Testament, we realize now as God reveals through his apostles that all of that in the Old Testament was kind of a picture to teach us spiritual realities. It wasn't that God had picked an ethnic group over other ethnic groups. Because we see in the New Testament taught so clearly that God has made every group and he welcomes every group in. So what's the whole point of the Old Testament? Well, the Old New Testament teaches us clearly that all of that was to give us a picture spiritually to see the difference between those who are part of God's community and those who are still far off. If you read Ephesians chapter 2, you will see it said so clearly. Paul says, you know, you Gentiles by birth, spiritually, you are far away from God. You were strangers to God. You didn't know him. He didn't know you in that intimate relational sense. And you were an alien to the commonwealth of Israel. You know, all of these great promises of blessing and provision, protection and care that God made to his people, it doesn't belong to you. You're not a partaker of that wonderful, blessed community. That's what it means to be a Gentile. And we can take that word to understand that's what it means spiritually to be far away from God. And what Jesus is saying with this woman, her being a Gentile means she is like a dog at the table, not like a, a child. And that illustration we can understand because when we eat our food and we have our children sitting around the table, we don't have our dogs sitting around the table. Now, I know today that there are people who do do that. But I think the vast majority of us will say that doesn't seem right to us. It's not something not right to, to take what should be given to the children and to have them go hungry and eat crumbs and to give the bread to the dogs. But what is Jesus expressing here? That this woman, by being a Gentile, is not deserving, is not worthy, should not have the blessings that God has promised only to his people. And when we understand the whole of the Bible together, we understand that spiritually that point is being made, that all who are Gentiles, spiritually speaking, are not deserving of even one ounce, one milligram of God's kindness and goodness and blessing because they are strangers to God. They don't, they don't know him. They are separated from God. They don't belong to his community people, his covenant people. And now we have to ask the question, well, who are spiritually Gentiles by birth? Again, you can refer to Ephesians 2 and in many other places in the Bible, but the point is made so clearly. Who, who belongs to that outside group of people, spiritually speaking? The Bible says very emphatically, all are sinners. All have sinned. All are born not knowing God, fallen, walking in our own way, not belonging to that blessed community that God has given all of his promises to that's the reality. And so what Jesus is revealing to us right here is he has given his authoritative explanation and description of all humankind naturally as they are. The way they naturally are spiritually in relation to God. They are Gentiles in that spiritual way. They are, if we use the, the, the language here, dogs at God's table. That's the point that's being said here. That we as human beings in our sin cannot say to God, I deserve. Just stop right there. The word deserve has no place in the sentence that we have anything to say to God, except in the fact that we deserve justice. We deserve some kind of retribution 
for all the wicked things that come up from within us. If you remember the previous passage our brother Dwayne spoke on last week, it is from within the human heart that evil things come out. And you know that in your experience, just as you sit alone in your room, all kinds of filth comes out from within us. And so the Bible just describes to us that because of these realities, we can so easily observe in our own life and experience, we do not deserve any blessing from God. We cannot say to him, you should give to me your love. I deserve to have your blessing over my life. I deserve to have A, B, and C. All of those sentences, there's no right for any of us to utter those things. And Jesus is making that clear. Now, here's the thing, that first point. Real faith looks at those things that we find so hard to receive, humanly speaking, because of our pride and ego and our stubbornness. And what does she say? Yes, Lord. She admits that as the reality. She looks at herself and says, that's true. She looks at her life and she looks at her experience and says, you're right. If there, if there exists a God, he has not given those promises to me. I am a Gentile by birth. That's the reality. He doesn't, she doesn't turn around and says, oh, Jesus, you're so horrible. I cancel you out. She doesn't say that. Real faith for her comes out and is demonstrated and saying, yes, Lord, that is the truth. Now, again, we have to deal with the fact. You just look around today in our world, and we see the opposite of this faith being demonstrated, even in so many people's lives who claim to follow Christ. And yet, what do they do? The things which are challenging to them, the things which might take away their, their ego and their pride and their, or the way they love to think about themselves, they, they say, oh, that doesn't sound right. I, I don't want to hear about that. But I love it when Jesus talks about this, but when he says things like this that are hard and challenging to receive, I don't think that's the historical Jesus. They'll find every kind of excuse to, to not listen and to not receive what he has to say. All of those things, no matter what they may claim, only demonstrates a superficial and counterfeit faith. Because it is saying to Jesus, I am not willing to receive everything you are saying. The things that I like, I will believe. But the things that you say that I don't like, no thank you. What does that show except that you're believing only in yourself and not in Jesus? See, real faith comes to Christ and everything he says, it receives him in its entirety. But it is something that causes us to tremble now. We have to be honest with this, isn't it? That not only do people today, when they hear these hard things in the scriptures from Jesus, when they hear these teachings that are hard to receive, not only do they not say, but not only do they say, I don't want to believe that. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to receive that. I don't, I don't agree with that. But if we're honest, the way that people live their eyes, lives, not only do they not believe, I'm not a dog. I'm not like that. They go around loving to think of themselves. Look, if there is a God, they would see that I try to be a good person. That's how people speak. You just talk to, to every, everyday Kiwis today. You know, if there is a God, surely he would see I'm trying to be good. I'm better than most. At least I'm not like those crackheads doing those kind of crazy things. I'm not like the people read of in the, in the newspapers. And even thieves would say, at least I have more honor than another thief over there. We see human beings love to justify themselves, but whatever it is, they say, oh, but I'm not a dog. Surely there's some part of me in my life that deserves some bread from the table. It is to be something that makes us tremble, that people not only reject what Jesus says, I'm not a dog, they treat God 
as if he was the dog. Now, what do I mean by that? They have their life here, their table, and they have all of the things that they're, they're living for. And what do they do with God in their lives? They relegate him down to under the table and treat him as if he were the dog waiting for the crumbs of their lives. Is that not true of us? When we think about our lives now, all the fullness of it, and we think of God, what do we do? We give to him the crumbs. People today think of God as if he was a dog begging for their attention, as if he was a dog waiting for them to give to him their lives. That is utter blasphemy. And we feel it deeply in our hearts too, because we do the same to him. We feel that we can relegate him to under our table. We say to him, you wait for me. I'll give to you my Sundays when I feel like it, but not when you decide. And we don't realize every single moment we live like that, we are adding to our condemnation. We are adding to the destruction that is coming for us because we think that the master of our lives is like a dog waiting for us. You see the depth of sin. You see the depth of blasphemy that is within our hearts, that we treat God as if he was a dog waiting at the table of our lives to which we can give crumbs whenever we feel like it. Is that a true description of your life now? You think of your life, you think, oh, all of this is mine. All of it, I get to choose how I live my life. I get to choose what to do with my time. And God, I'll give to him a Sunday here and there maybe. And God, I'll read the Bible here and there maybe. And then, you know, you can go now, puppy, you can go now. Is that how you think of him? Is that how you treat of him? You see the terrible sinfulness of humanity. Not that we disagree with Jesus, but we flip it around on him and treat him as if he was a dog waiting for our crumbs. I hope you see what a horrible thing that would be to do and how utterly guilty people are before God to treat him like that. What the one who made you and who sustains you, who gives you all things, is it right for you to treat him like that? We see in the Old Testament, in the prophet Malachi, that was the great guilt of the Israelites too. They had all the blessings of God, the prophets, the law, all of these wonderful things. And yet God says to them, if I am your father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? The way you live your life, oh Israelites, you treat me as if I am worth less than a dog at your table. You give to me all the, the least of your sacrifices. You treat me as if, oh, it's such a burden to serve God. That's the, that's the guilt that the Israelites had. And we see it as so true of every human being. Well, there's number one. Real faith doesn't treat God like that. We see genuine faith recognizes that God is the master at the table. And I am a dog unworthy. In my sins, I'm less than a dog. I can claim nothing of this master and say, you must give me bread. All I can do is sit at his feet and say, yes, Lord, I don't deserve anything. That's what faith says when it comes to Christ. Here's the first point. And then we, we move on to the second point. You see this, this, this lovely lady, this wonderful woman. Yes, Lord. But she says, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What is she doing? Oh, she is so filled with this persevering faith. Jesus' sharp remark is not enough to deter her. Why? There is this desperateness within her. There is nowhere else she can turn. I must get the blessing from Jesus 
Otherwise, my daughter is lost. I can't go home yet. And so she presses on. She says, yes, Lord, what you are saying is true. I don't dare to contradict you. I don't dare to say I disagree with you. And certainly it would be wrong of me to treat you in the other way around. But Lord, even the dogs under the table, they would get crumbs from the, from the bread of the children. Surely even they would get crumbs. What is she doing? She's applying herself wholeheartedly and throwing herself on the mercy of the master. Please, would you sweep away some crumbs off the table? The children's done. Just sweep the crumbs off for me. She's, she's banking herself on the goodness and on the mercy and on the grace of the master at the table. There's that second demonstration of faith. We see all of this difficult and hard to receive things. We see the Bible saying so clearly of us, you are sinners, undeserving of anything from God. We say yes, but we press on. Where else can we go? We must receive life at God's hands. He is the creator and sustainer of life. So what can we do but throw ourselves on? But God, please be merciful to me. That's the word, isn't it? Mercy. You know, the definition of mercy is not something that you deserve. That's just to, to add the word deserve is to change the definition. The definition of mercy is undeserved. It is something that we cannot deserve in and of ourselves. It is something freely given from the one who gives to us mercy. And so we see faith comes to Jesus, comes to God and says, I, I don't deserve anything. But Lord, won't you be merciful and good to me? Won't you be gracious to me and just give to me freely? Not because I deserve it. Certainly not because I can place any claims on you, but purely because you are so filled with love and kindness and, and pity towards me as a poor dog at the table. Just sweep some crumbs off for me, please. That there is that demonstration of a faith that overcomes every obstacle and puts all of his eggs on one basket. In the way you could say of this woman, she had no other hope. All of her hope, all of her trust, it was on Jesus alone. She banked it all on him. She had to put all of her eggs on one basket. And this basket was Christ. There was no one else to go to. And certainly when you expand it and understand this teaching spiritually, that principle stands the same. We have to hear this clearly. There is no other way to be right with God, our creator. There is no other way to escape from the guilt that we ourselves so keenly feel apart from Jesus Christ apart from his mercy. He alone is the savior of mankind. There is no other name given amongst men under heaven by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. That was the consistent teaching of Jesus' apostles. And it is the same truth now. If you will not come to Jesus Christ, then you will face God for how you have treated him your whole life. And there will be none to stand before you to stand in between you and God's fear justice. But if you come now as this woman did and you fall at the feet of Christ and you put all of your eggs on one basket, you stake your whole eternity upon Jesus Christ and his ability to make you right with God, then you would say you've got real faith and moves us to the third point. What is the result? Jesus says to her, verse 29, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Here's the thing. She didn't just receive the crumbs. The crumbs would look like, I'll give you 10 more years with your daughter. But the crumbs might look like, you know what? I see, your, I see your, your passion and your, go to the temple and give such and such and then I'll grant your request. 
What does Jesus say? He answers her request in full without demanding anything of her. What is that? That's giving to her the full bread. <laughs> Not crumbs there. In fact, when we take you know, what the Bible teaches us of what Jesus does to those who come to him in faith. It's not that he's giving the bread down to the dogs now, no. By a supernatural power that only God can do. This is where the analogy breaks down a bit. He transforms the dogs into his children seated at the table. That's what he does. Those, those who come to him, knowing they're undeserving and yet trusting all of themselves to him, saying, please be merciful to me. You see the goodness and the love of God. He changes them into his children and seats them at his table and gives to them all of his bread. Says to them, as I say to my daughters, because I love to sport, anything on this table, you just eat as much as you want. The problem is they don't eat everything. Then I have to finish it. But this is how parents treat their kids. They give to them everything. Behold, everything I have is yours. And that's what the Bible says. God says to everybody who comes to him in that way, we become heirs with Christ. What do heirs get? Everything their father has. Isn't that incredible? This is what God does to every single soul. Oh, you might be, you might be pulled back. You think I'm so messed up. I've got so many things wrong. I just, I, even now, I'm living in such terrible ways. The Bible says, do you see Jesus demanding anything of this woman? Do you see Jesus saying to her to do anything at the temple? No, he demanded nothing of her. But when that faith was, was polished, you know, as it were by his sharp remarks and shone forth like a diamond, obvious for everyone to see, Jesus then says, you've got everything you asked for without demanding anything of her, no payment, nothing that she has to do. Just go home and enjoy my blessing that I've answered you with. Enjoy your daughter. She will be well. You see the answer that God gives to every soul who comes to him. Every soul who says, yes, Lord, I am a sinner. I'm, I'm worthy of nothing but, but retribution, of justice. I'm guilty. That's, that's what a sinner says. I'm guilty. I see that reality of myself. But Lord, you are so good. You've given these promises of forgiveness. All my trust and all my hope is in you. That very moment when a person says that, God says, welcome at my table. You are become my child. You've become my children. You are mine. I've, I've dealt with all of those problems that you have, all your sin, all your guilt, all the death that clings to you. Look at my son on the cross. He has dealt with it all. You come into my house now and you sit at my table. That's what is said to every single soul who genuinely trusts in Jesus Christ. And because the Bible tells us this, we can make categorically, without, without blushing, black and white statements. That every soul that truly puts all of their hope, all of their weight upon Jesus Christ, they can be assured that God will receive them, give to them all of the bread, not just the crumbs. Well, that leaves us really with only one question. Is that description of you true this morning? Are you just like this Syrophoenician woman? Do you have this faith in Christ? where you have put all of your soul's weight upon him. You're not going to anywhere else. You're not trusting in your performance or yourself. You're admitting with Christ, yes, Lord, I have nothing to offer you. No way to claim anything of you. I hope none of you think that, that you could somehow bend God's arm because you go to church or you're a good person. 
That is not at all what the Bible teaches us. But if you are coming to Christ saying, yes, Lord, yet you are so merciful and kind, I trust to your promises. I come just as I am because of your promises I come. You can be assured this morning, you are right with God. You have full access to him, not as a slave to a master, but as a child to a father. You come to him, not having to fulfill 10 checklists before he smiles on you. He already beams at you with his divine smile because you come in the name of his son. You see what a glorious message we have to do with. You see what great love God has shown to us. You see what marvelous mercy that he makes dogs into children. Are you his child this morning? I want you to be. I so sincerely pray and hope that everyone here is in that blessed place that you can see in yourself. Yes, I've, I've come to that blessed place and I can see God is my father. What a joy to live life knowing that reality. What an amazing happiness that we as a church ought to live knowing that God is our father. He will not turn away from us. You might say, oh, I've sinned or I've, I've messed up. He's turned his face away. But if he didn't receive you because you were good, why would he turn away from you now that you've sinned? He receives you on the basis of his son. You see what wonderful joy we have as the church. But you know, this morning, if you've come because a friend or a family member has invited you, you're not, you're not there yet. You're not there and putting all your trust in Christ. You're not willing to say to him, yes, Lord, to everything he has said. I would encourage you, take this seriously. Come and read the Bible for yourself. Don't listen to what me or the church has to say. Read of Christ yourself. Deal with him yourself. And you will find that there's nothing to fault in there. But I, I, would, I would plead with you, take this seriously. Come and meet with Christ in the Bible. Read for yourself what he has to say. And I hope God would bring you to that wonderful place. He would make you his child. There is no greater blessing. That's, that's one little, little mite of testimony I can add. It's the greatest happiness for me and for the church. We, we, we will testify that together to have God as our Father. We want the same for every one of you who have not yet come to that place. Now let's pray. Let's pray and thank the Lord and ask Him for His help. Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word and we're praying now, Lord, that You would give to every soul here their genuine faith. Help us, Lord, to see that Your description of us is so true. We are naturally strangers to You. We, we just live according to our own way, according to our own pride and our lusts and our selfishness. Of course, Lord, we're not right with you naturally. We need to be forgiven. We need to receive your grace. Lord, what can we say to you? But thank you for even giving to us this way of life and not just a way where we have to also give our payment, but a, a full and free way that everybody who comes to Jesus Christ in faith, they will be received that very moment. They will go away like this woman, not having done anything, but simply going home with the promise. You have received what you asked for. Your daughter will be made well. Well, Lord, help every one of us to have that promise in our own hearts too and to trust in Jesus with all the weight of our souls, hearing that word, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that whoever calls on Jesus Christ will not be put to shame. Help us all to do that, Lord, and to know that glorious reality in our hearts and in our lives. Bless us in this way, Lord. We're praying to you not trusting in anything of ourselves, but only in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.